Section 4 of Here and Hereafter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria de Fatima da Silva. Here and Hereafter by Barry Payne. Postmortem 1. After dining for the last time at his club, Evan Hurst returned at once to his flat in Jermyn Street. The greater part of his arrangements had already been made, and most of his things packed, but there were still a few details to settle, and he was to leave for the north early on the following morning. Yet when he entered his room, he did not proceed at once to letter-writing or to business of any kind. He flung himself down in an easy chair. He felt unaccountably tired. All day he had had business to attend to, necessary, no doubt, for the carrying out of his somewhat wild and romantic scheme, none the less wearisome to a man of poetical temperament and of poor physique. He was a man of slight build, with fair and rather fluffy hair, a pretty, thin-lipped mouth, and plaintive blue eyes. To the world in general, his lot would have seemed a fairly easy one. He had sufficient means of his own, and no one in any way depended upon him. His volume of poems, Under the Sea, published a year or two before, had excited a great deal of public attention and some controversy. What had seemed genius to one critic had seemed insanity to another. He was not unpopular at his club, although he was thought to be slightly ridiculous. It was not supposed that he had any trouble of any kind. Women, of whom in his poems he wrote with such knowledge and such fervency, had never really come much into his life. As he lay there and smoked endless cigarettes, he admitted the truth to himself. It was vanity that was at the root of it. He had seen the talented and remarkable Evan Hurst dwindling down into nobody again. Once it was supposed that Evan Hurst was dead, dead by his own act, and leaving such strange communications behind him, interest would revive. People would speak again of Under the Sea, his unpublished poems would be produced, and there would be obituary notices. There would be, for a while at least, breathless interest in the poet and the suicide, and he, alive and not dead, under another name and acting another part, would read and enjoy it all. To carry out his scheme meant many sacrifices, but the fascination of it was too strong for him, and the success of it seemed to be certain. His sensations were really very much those of a man who actually knows that he is about to die. He had withdrawn a large balance from his bank and transferred it to another bank in the name which he now intended to take. But it was essential if Evan Hurst were to die that he should leave money behind him. That money he willingly sacrificed. It was enough if he retained for his new incarnation sufficient for a reasonable livelihood. 
it annoyed him far more to think that he must leave also his books the collections the furniture and the treasures of his german street flat they had all come together slowly and all represented in a way his individuality the scattering of them by public auction would be like the disintegration of death he could imagine already the notice in the catalogue of a second-hand bookseller offering that exquisitely bound set of heisman's works containing the book plate of the late evan hurst there were prints and engravings that from long affection and study had given him almost a feeling as if he had had a part in their creation the juror splendid impression would fetch fifty pounds at least men at the club would remember this evening they would recall that evan hurst was there only a few days before his death and that even then they had remarked how gloomy and silent he seemed to be he laughed bitterly and aloud flung down his cigarette and passed into his bedroom there for a while he packed energetically but soon he had to stop for a feeling of intense and almost painful weariness came over him again after all there would be time to finish the packing in the morning he decided to go to bed on the following afternoon he left king's cross for salsey on the yorkshire coast two salsey is a small fishing village that has not yet suffered from the curse of popularity evan hurst put up at the one hotel in the place and constituted its one permanent visitor occasionally a commercial traveler would arrive one day and leave on the next and would talk as much as possible to evan hurst evan hurst in return would talk as little as possible consistent with bare politeness to the commercial traveler every morning he bathed from the shore before breakfast at a point at some considerable distance from the village here there was a small cave in the cliffs a useful shelter if rain came on and useful to evanhurst for other purposes for it was here that gradually bit by bit he collected the slender outfit with which he was to begin the world in his new character on the day that evanhurst was supposed to commit suicide his plan was simplicity itself he would go out to bathe as usual and he would not return his clothes would be found on the shore and in the pocket of his coat there would be a letter to the landlord of the hotel leaving no doubt whatever as to his intentions in the meantime in a little cave he would have altered his appearance put on different clothes and from there struck out for the nearest railway station in the evening he would be in dover and next day in paris without one tie left between what he had once been and what he was now going to be he looked forward to the change with pleasurable excitement it was something more than vanity after all as heaven hurst he had begun in a role which he was not competent to sustain to have continued in it would have been to disappoint the public opinion of him in the new part he could write as he liked act as he liked 
talk as he liked. There would be no preconceived opinion of him in the world. It would be all for him to make with the benefit of his experience of his past blunders. He took immense care with the composition of that brief letter to the landlord. It ran as follows. Dear Sir, it would be impossible to explain to you the reasons why I intend this morning to take my life, but undoubtedly some apology is due to you for any inconvenience which my death may cause you. I leave behind me at the hotel a quantity of money which will be more than sufficient to discharge my obligations to you. Nor have I any explanation to offer to the coroner and the British jury. These good people will return their usual verdict. Not to be interested in so extremely uninteresting a thing as my life has become would be a clear proof to them of insanity. I shall swim out so long as my strength lasts, and the end will come under the sea. Faithfully yours, Evan Hurst. He did not quite like it now that he had finished it. The way in which he had introduced the title of his book seemed to him to be a little on the cheap side, but at any rate it was a letter which would call for a good deal of comment. He promised himself much amusing and interesting reading when the English papers reached Paris a few days later. The morning came at last, grey, overcast and misty, and more likely to turn to great heat than to rain. Evan Hurst looked at himself in the glass and laughed. He had spent some hours in his room the night before, dyeing his fluffy hair. Unquestionably, it was an improvement to his appearance. There was no danger that it would be observed on his leaving the hotel, for he wore his towel slung round his neck and a broad-brimmed straw hat. As he walked towards the cave, he now felt an unaccountable nervousness. True, but few people went that way, and even if they entered the cave, his store of clothes was so carefully hidden that it was unlikely that anybody would find them. Still, there was just a chance, and it would be maddening if just at the last some trifle occurred to balk his scheme. He breathed a sigh of relief when he found everything, just as he had left it. In less than half an hour, the change was complete. The clothes of that fluffy poet, Evan Hurst, were disposed with a careful carelessness on the rocks above high-water mark, with a letter to the landlord in the pocket of the coat, and Evan Hurst, in his new incarnation, strode away in a blue serge suit, black felt hat, and black boots carrying a small bag which contained a change of linen and the articles of his toilet. The rest of his luggage was to be purchased in London. For the first mile or so, his way lay along the beach, and he was careful to walk on the sand where in half an hour the sea would obliterate his footprints. His feelings were at first those of amusement. In every little detail of his clothes, he was so different from what he had ever been before. He speculated whether he would not perforce become quite a different kind of man under the clothes' influence. Already he felt himself a stouter person, 
readier to tackle the world and deal with it properly. His satisfaction was intense. He was still meditating on the subject when he reached the path up the cliffs. A perfectly easy and safe path with a few low rocks between him and it. As he clambered over the rocks, inconvenienced by the bag that he was carrying, he slipped and fell, and lay quite still. The hours passed, and now the sun blazed. The waves had already touched one of the black boots. They crept up to the head and came back with a pinky stain. At last, when the figure was fully covered, it gave a sudden and ungainly movement, and for a little while floated with arms and legs, shot out queerly like the limbs of a starfish. The black felt hat had drifted far away, and tossed about on the waves, with absurdity. Then slowly the figure disappeared from sight. End of section 4